Hey everybody, welcome back to the Unafraid Podcast. I'm Jay, your host, and it is a beautiful morning, um, a morning in which I have not been able to figure out time zones so far, so I don't know if that uh, bodes well for the rest of the day or not, but uh, but I'm here and my guest is here, so uh, we're, we're happy about that. Uh, let's see, episode number, gosh, I've been guessing at these. I'm going to guess 45 now. Um, I, I think that's a that's a good number. I'm 41, so I've got a couple years to go in, until I get there. Um, but it's it's been a, a good ride with this show. I have learned so much, uh, not only about myself, because with every guest I learn a little bit more about myself, uh, just hearing their experiences, but about our community as a whole. And it's it's really been a great experience for me. And I hope that you all as listeners are having a good experience with it as well. I hope that I'm giving you um, enough variety to keep you entertained because I know we all have plenty of uh, options for entertainment these days. And if you ever have any ideas for, for guests or stories you'd like to share, as always, you know, shoot me a message. You can you can click on contact me right on the, the uh, podcast website and, and send me a message and let me know what you think. I'd appreciate that. All right, well, we want to give a big thanks to the show's sponsor, Rebecca Jonesy, who is a fiction author. Uh, she is the author of the Mabs Doll series, where the Fae know that everyone is unique and all love is valid. Rebecca is a big ally of the queer community, and we really, really appreciate her keeping the show going and making it so that um, even during the time of COVID, when um, I was no longer able to work that I could keep producing this podcast and not have have to uh, worry about how I'm going to pay for it. So thank you again, Rebecca. You are a lifesaver and a show saver. All right. So my guest today has a very, very special honor. This is the first guest ever on this show whose website makes me drool. This is the great Nathan Aguilera. Hey, good morning, Jay. Thank you so much for having me on. You're very welcome. It's it's great to have you here. And again, the time zone confusion today. I'm sorry about that. I've told people before that it is my kryptonite. No, I mean, I probably should have mentioned the email. I'm based in Mexico, so things are a little bit off here, time zone-wise. And otherwise, sometimes as well, but time zone-wise at the moment, for sure. Well, so time zones may be a little bit off, but what is the weather like? I'm I'm assuming it's gorgeous out there. It's a little bit hot. We just broke 100 degrees yesterday. Oh, my God. You're kidding. Yeah. So April, May is the uh, really, really aggressively hot parts of the year. And, you know, I had mentioned to you in our emails previously, I'm actually getting ready to leave Medida April 1st uh, and do a, a change of change of scenery, and in part due to how hot it gets here. The heat index is supposed to get up to like 122 degrees soon. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine. I mean, it's... We're 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 having highs of you know sixty five here right now. Where are you located? I'm in uh, I'm on the west side of Michigan. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's great in the summer because it gets it gets nice and warm, but nothing that you would consider hot. But I'll tell you what, the the snow in the winter it's it's not nice. I'm from Oklahoma City, so we have uh, pretty pretty brutal summers and pretty brutal winters, but really <laughs> nice spring and fall. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Spring is always the best. A little muddy, but it, but it's but it's good. So you're you're moving. Tell me about your move. I'm currently based in Merida, Mexico, in the Yucatan Peninsula. Uh, for most, a lot of people don't know where Merida is, but everyone knows where Cancun is. I'm about three and a half hours from Cancun, 
And I've been based here off and on for the better part of four years, mostly coming here over the winter times. And I'm getting ready to make the move to the west coast of Mexico, to Puerto Vallarta. So oh, complete opposite side of the country. That's pretty That's pretty exciting. And Puerto Vallarta, now the, the waters over there, that's where you can go great white shark diving, isn't it? Yeah, I believe that some over there, I recently found out, because I do a lot of scuba diving, or I try to, there's an island called Isla Guadalupe, and it's um, it's a it's a full day's trip. You ha- you can only get there by sailing, and so you do like a five day trip to there and back, and one day each way is spent at sea, and then three days uh, diving on Isla Guadalupe, and it's considered one of the best places in the world to be able to do, guaranteed see great white sharks. So that's a trip I'd like to do at some point in the future. It's pretty pricey, but it's gone on the bucket list now. Oh my gosh, yeah. And anytime I see, well, and I'm sure there's a lot of people, crazy people out here like this, but anytime I see great white sharks, you know, breaching out of the water on Discovery Channel or anything, I'm like, that's a trip that I want to take. And never mind that I would be terrified. I would probably faint, but um, it's it's definitely on my uh, on my bucket list. Well, you know, Guadalupe. yeah, yeah, heck yeah, heck yeah. Maybe I'll go with you and you can teach me how to scuba dive. Oh, you've never been diving. I've oh. never been diving. I've been snorkeling, but but never further than that. Oh, you got to get certified. Heck yeah. Well, so tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, so far we, we know you're in Mexico, but I didn't even ask uh, you to tell me about yourself. Uh, my name is Nathan Aguilar. Like I mentioned, I'm from, I'm originally from a really small town in Oklahoma, but I've spent most of my life in Oklahoma City until about seven years ago when I set off on what I thought at the time was going to be a six-month backpacking trip around Southeast Asia. Um, You know, at the end of that six months, I definitely knew I wasn't close to being done traveling, so I kept extending the trip by six months, six months, six months as I, you know, was traveling and seeing the world until about, I think, two years into the trip, I just told all my friends and family, you know, for the foreseeable future, this is what I'm going to be doing, and now I've spent more than seven years solo traveling the world. Well, what you just described, I think, is my wife's lifelong dream. It's just to to set out on a six month adventure and then just keep extending it until you've you're living a whole new lifestyle. That sounds amazing. Now, were you always a traveler, or what were you doing before you set off on your adventure? I was working in a corporate law firm in Oklahoma City, uh, managing their admin department, and really quite happy. You know, I, I hear a lot of people when they say they set off on this kind of trip they were miserable they were at a bad place they were running from something or trying to get away from something and that really wasn't my case you know i had a i had a nice job a good solid job management position really great friends around me friends and family and um but i had gone on some volunteer trips to kenya and when i was in kenya a friend and i went and stayed at a hostel for the first time and i met people that were doing these like six month, one year trips. And it just blew my mind. I'd never heard of anyone traveling for a solid year at a time. And I, I became really hyper obsessed with the idea and started reading every travel blog that I could find and started researching how I could make this possible for myself. I considered teaching English in Korea, uh, you know, things like this, uh, travel blogging, which I'm now doing food and travel writing was one of my original, uh, considerations, but, I actually didn't immediately get into it. Uh, just 
crazy obsessed with the idea. The amount of time that I spent researching and trying to figure out how I could make this possible for myself was insane uh, and made it happen, you know? Oh, that's that's an incredible. Now, do you are you are you any in any relationship or, or married or anything like that? Do you have a, a partner that ever travels with you or is it is it just you solo? For the majority of the time, there's a pretty funny story from the beginning of my trip. Um, from the majority of the time, I've been solo, single travel, uh, traveling the world. But in Oklahoma City, I intentionally quit dating before I left Oklahoma City. Uh, you know, not that I had like a line out the door, <laughs> beating down the door or anything <laughs> like that. But I, I very intentionally, I, w- I wanted to leave Oklahoma City without um, any entanglement or anything like this. I didn't want to have to choose between a guy and my trip. And cause I knew I wanted to do this trip and I knew that I would choose the trip. Um, so I didn't want to, so I, I just quit dating and I was going to travel the world and be free and be single and, you know, meet new people and go on a million dates and things like this. And the day I got off the plane, my first day in Thailand, I met a guy and we dated for two and a half years. No, you didn't. <laughs> yeah. The day I walked off the plane, I met someone. Oh, my God. That sounds like every one of my plans I've ever made. <laughs> <laughs> it, it actually turned out to be really great, though. He was a flight attendant. And so he was very travel obsessed as well. So I think in our two and a half years of dating, we visited like 16 countries together or something like this. And it was you know, it was kind of a pretty cool love story in the beginning. You know, we were meeting in Madrid and meeting in Berlin and, you know, like scuba diving in Bali and trekking in Malaysia and all this other stuff. And um, the romance part fizzled out. He's still one of my very closest friends and I'm still in contact with him and love him to death. But yeah, it was a pretty cool love story, you know, trying to want to travel the world as a single person and stepping off the plane and six hours later falling into a relationship. (laughs) Wow, that is... That is just amazing. And, and I'll tell you what, you I, I'm sure you made every person lis, listening extremely jealous talking about this. I mean, <laughs> this is like a, a fantasy relationship, you know, meet you in Madrid. That's that's just incredible. Well, and it was really good because, you know, at one point I ended up, he had buddy passes. And I ended oh, up on oh. his buddy passes. So it was very easy to say like, oh, I'm going to have like a three or four day layover in this country if you can fly there for a hundred bucks, you know, do you want to meet me halfway across halfway around the world? And, you know, we got to do a lot of cool things, but like you said, it was a fantasy relationship because oftentimes I would say, you know, it's very easy when we're traveling around the world, living in fancy hotels, living in nice Airbnbs, um, doing exciting things, attending concerts and festivals around the world and everything. But what would this look like if it was you and me, maybe sharing a space 24-7 or, you know, quite often Oklahoma City uh, or wherever we chose to go and not doing all these cool, interesting, exciting things, you know, what, what would it look like? You know, do you, do you, are you a mess? Do you do the dishes after you cook? Do you take out the trash? You know, I always wondered, like, it was easy in this fantasy relationship to think like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, if things stayed like this, this could go forever, but... I don't know. I think the reality of it. I, I never knew what the reality, and we we actually really never experienced that. Well, maybe that's maybe that's for the best, you know. And and I don't know how things ended. Hopefully, it wasn't a, a messy thing. But you know, it's you got to have a really cool relationship and experience amazing things with someone that you 
obviously were really into, really cared about. And yet you didn't have to have the disenchantment of, okay, now we're back at a, you know, three bedroom apartment in Oklahoma city and we're working our, our jobs. So that's kind yeah, of a and, blessing. And, some, and someone's a slob and someone never puts the trash on the curb and someone never folds laundry. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, we, we never had to find these things out about one another. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's awesome. So you, you weren't exactly traveling the world as a, as a single man, but you, you were, you were solo a lot of this time, weren't you? Yeah, the, almost all of it because him being a flight attendant and he was working for a Middle East – he's Eastern European guy and uh, working for a Middle Eastern airline. And you know, we never knew what his schedule was going to look like until the end of the month. So you know, oftentimes we go months without seeing each other because you know something that month wouldn't work out and you're kind of watching for the schedule to come out and see if we're going to be able to coordinate anything for the following month and – that schedule gets released and there's nothing that works out. And so we were kind of at the mercy of his schedule and we, we made it work quite often, but you know, oftentimes there'd be two month periods where we just didn't get to see one another. Okay. Well, now my wife and I recently, uh, look, as I, I think everyone has been, uh, in front of their television, maybe more than we, we should be in the last uh, year or so. But uh, our, our most recent show that we, we uh, ran through was um, Race Across the World or something like that. And it was um, a British show, and it was all these couples that had to make it from point A to point B. That's, you know, 10,000 kilometers away, whatever it is. And they can only do it with X amount of money. So they're they're riding on buses and staying in hostels and sometimes just up all night traveling and, you know, doing all these things to, to try to make their destination. And when I see that, I kind of, I kind of think of younger people traveling, you know, you know, 18 to 21 year, year old people traveling through um, Europe or South America, you know, just trying to live as cheap as possible and stay as cheap as possible. But then I read the foodie flashbacker blog and it doesn't sound like that's exactly how you're traveling. So tell me a little bit about the what a foodie flashpacker is. <laughs> well, you know, I don't travel like that now, but I only don't travel like that because I tried it and I realized it's not for me. The very beginning of this trip, you know, I was I tried sleeping in dorm rooms and I tried, you know, doing it on the cheap as much as possible and I quickly realized it's it's not a style of travel that I love. So a, a flashbacker, which I thought when I started this website, I, I thought more people understood what it was. And it turns out I quite often get asked what a flashbacker was. So I tell people I don't sleep in dorms, but I can't afford the four seasons. You know, So it's kind of a style of travel between bare minimum dorms, you know, trying to stretch every dollar as far as you can, and ultra luxury travel, you know, flying first class and you know going to – the four seasons or something like this. So usually when I travel, it's somewhere in the middle. I rent private Airbnbs. Uh, I, I don't like to share accommodations with other people. I stay in mid-range or boutique hotels, occasionally splashing out for you know something nice, a little bit of luxury, depending on where I'm at in the world. And uh, it definitely for me, being a food-focused travel blog, I would much rather spend a lot of my money on food experiences. And they don't even have to be you know the ultra super expensive you know, Michelin star restaurants or things like this. Uh, the, the traveler that I'm trying to appeal to is as excited about, you know, sitting on a little plastic chair in Vietnam, eating a $1 bowl of pho or 
standing on a corner in Mexico and eating a street taco as they are, you, you know, that 12 course tasting menu at a Michelin star restaurant. Okay. Okay. Well, <clears throat> and that brings up something else here. You'll see, you know, like I love art and music, but I, w I would never consider myself an aficionado. I, I'm, I'm not that refined. I don't know enough about it. Just like I love eating. Oh my God. I love eating and I love food. But I, I don't consider myself a foodie because, you know, my, my father-in-law is, is a foodie. Very, very knowledgeable, knows how to cook just about anything, and he has very exquisite tastes. But, you know, what what is that? I mean, is there a way to go from someone who likes to eat to foodie? Is that a, a transition that you ever made or have you ever, have you always been a foodie? I've always been very interested, very excited about food. I was the person in Oklahoma City when uh, you know a new restaurant or the new cool brunch place or whatever would open. I was the one getting us a reservation and organizing it. But I wouldn't say a foodie has to have exquisite taste. You just need to be knowledgeable in the things that you like. You know, some some people don't like foams and emulsions and foie gras and truffles and things like this, and that's fine if it's not for you. But you know, you could be a foodie in the in the the, the foods that interest you and the foods that you're excited in uh, about a lot of my friends and, you know, me as well, we love street food, which is super cheap, never fancy. Um, but you, you could be a, uh, there would be a really interesting travel blog that could be made just traveling the world, the best street food around the world. I would totally be interested in that travel blog. It's actually, I should consider starting it now that I'm thinking out loud. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that would be fun because I think that that's food that, could be accessible to almost any traveler, you know. Of course, you know. <laughs> especially from a budget perspective, it'd be very accessible to every traveler. You just need to be a little bit open-minded when you're in other countries that you, you know, it may not look like something that you're used to having. A little bit open-minded about maybe trying new proteins. <laughs> Here in Mexico, people quite often are having crickets as like a little side snack, and a lot of people turn their nose up at those, but they're actually not that bad. Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I am one of these typical Americans that have not experienced much outside my, 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 uh, my local cuisine. So I don't really have experience with what some people might consider exotic proteins or, you know, I've, I've never eaten a cricket or any other type of insect or arachnid. And I think that <clears throat> when I was younger... I would say there's no way, you know, I watch, you know, shows on Discovery and you know, there's there's going to be a, a Discovery theme here. I watch a lot of Discovery, but uh, shows on Discovery where someone was eating a uh, an exotic food and be like, oh, my God, I could never do that. And now I watch these same types of shows and I'm like, huh, OK, that might be interesting to experience that. You know, I'm I'm 41 years old. I, I feel like my life is halfway done. I kind of want to experience some of these these more wild things that I've I've never gotten to try. Quite often when I'm in places, very rarely will I not try at least a bite of something, but quite often when I'm standing there and someone's offering you something that sounds very disgusting and that you have no interest whatsoever in trying, you know, you have to think, what's the worst that's going to happen? It's going to taste bad, and but at the it's not like it's going to poison you and you're going to fall over dead. You know, the locals are eating it. Uh, the locals oftentimes seem to enjoy eating it, so... You know, you know, to me, I'm like, what's the worst that can happen? It's just not going to taste good for 30 seconds, and then you have a drink of water and move on with your day, you know? 
<laughs> well, okay, so now now we're moving more into my anxiety wheelhouse. This is this is where I thrive right here. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> have, you, have you ever heard of a show called Monsters Inside Me? No. Okay, I've... don't watch that show. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you right now, because there's all sorts of, uh, they cover a lot of different uh, foodborne parasites and stuff like that. And it really will make you scared of, of uh, expanding your horizon. So don't, don't get into that show if. Uh, well, I could be on an episode. Oh, no. My, oh, my yeah, gosh. Tell my me. my trip to India. Tell me um, exactly what happened. <laughs> I mean, how much detail do you want? It's pretty gross. <laughs> I, I need to know everything, but don't don't tell me the name of the uh, disease first, because I want to see if I can guess this based on the story. Um, wow. Okay. How can I tell you? Uh, I had. <laughs> it's like this is pretty embarrassing. To, I remember I was ha- I was not feeling well, and I the particular symptom that I was having. Um, I realized I had read something about it in the back of my Lonely Planet Guide to India. And when I remember that particular symptom, I remembered something in the very back of my Lonely Planet Guide to India about, is it is itchy anus polite enough to say on a podcast? <laughs> well, you said it, so it's there. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Yeah. Is that something we need to edit out? Yeah. An extremely itchy anus? <laughs> Oh my God! Well, well, okay. So I haven't heard that symptom before. Um, I'm already thinking some kind of worms, like hookworms. Yes, yes. worms. Yes, yes. I had got worms in India, oh. and and in India, as much as I just said, like I love street food and I'm not afraid to eat much of anything. I had been so warned about the street food so many times that I was only eat- and you know and they said don't eat meat there, don't eat meat because a lot of the the local people are vegetarian, so. If they do have meat, oftentimes it's been sitting around for a while because there's you know there's not a lot of turnover. So I was eating at nicer you know mid mid to high range restaurants, thinking I was safe because I wasn't eating street food. <laughs> and even eating at these nicer restaurants, I ended up getting pinworms in India. Wow! So if you know the people at Monster Inside Me or whatever that is, have them get a hold of me yes. and I can do an episode for them. Yes. I, Wow! Wow! Well, and and you know, it's it's one of those. I'm we we must just be a disgusting family because we are fascinated by this stuff. But you know, and there there are some situations where certain countries it's it's not altogether safe to drink water that's that's out of the tap. And and some of these stories are people who have just had a salad, which seems really safe, but the salad had been rinsed off with with tap water, and and they had ended up uh, you know contracting something that way, but. But yeah, so um, worst case scenarios, I, I can always I can always go there. But as I get older, I, I feel like I, I feel like my mind is changing on this risk versus reward thing, where it's like I do want to get out and experience amazing things. And I know you're you're a foodie, and you told me that you were really hyper focused on this idea. So tell me a little bit about the experience of being solo in another country, just just traveling and trying food, you know, tell me what that's like. You know, leaving, it was very scary. Um, I, I, you know, am I going to make friends? Is there going to be a sense of community? Um, I don't mind spending time alone, but you also want the option when you want to be social and you want to do things with other people, you want to have that option as well. And I quickly discovered 
traveling solo, you're only as alone as you want to be. It's very easy to meet other solo travelers or to meet groups of people traveling. Um, I, like I said, I no longer sleep in dorms. I, I would be open to the idea of staying in a hostel in a private room or things like that. But now since I started my blog and I began blogging, I'm in so many different blogging groups and so many different solo traveler groups and digital nomad groups and things like this that when you arrive in a city, you know, someone you know is either living there or has been there. And if they're not currently there, they're going to connect you with other people. So I love solo travel. I, I love the option to be alone as much as I want to be alone. But it's also nice because I am a pretty social person to be able to easily find these, you know, pre-COVID, of course, it's quite different in this moment. But these groups of people, they're always in a city, the expat or digital nomad groups, they're always doing something. There's always a dinner or a happy hour or, you know, they're organizing a day trip somewhere or something like this. And they're easy groups to jump into. And while a lot of people back home in Oklahoma City, they don't know a lot of other people that are doing this solo travel thing. These groups, it's you don't have to, you know, when you jump into one of these groups, you don't kind of have to explain like, oh, why, why it makes sense that you've been traveling so long alone. Everyone gets it. People are more or less doing the same thing, and everyone loves to sit around and swap stories and talk about where you've been, where you most want to go, and where you, where we all hate it, and things like this. Well, it sounds that sounds pretty amazing to me because I, I'm what I'm picturing, and this may be wrong, is you know I'm. You know, I'm in some foreign country to me and traveling. I'm I'm having a good time, but you know, all of a sudden I, I'm I'm getting a little homesick because I don't know anyone. But boom, there's there's this uh, there's huge network of people that are all over the world, and I'm able to connect with people that that are like minded or, or like me, and and have a little bit of sense of home there. And that's that's kind of a cool idea. Yeah, and like I said, I've been based in Merida for off and on for four years now, and because of COVID, I've actually been here more than a year, which is the longest continuous amount of time that I've stayed in one city since I left. And that's one of the reasons it's been so difficult to leave Merida, is Merida, Mexico has an amazing group of expats, digital nomads, you know, what, what, whatever it is that they're doing. There's a great community here in Merida, and it's really difficult to want to leave when there are so many great people doing interesting things here, and uh, I, I felt really at home here. And I actually wouldn't be surprised to see myself back in the here at some point in the future. I'm ready to go now. I'm a little bit restless because, like I said, I've been here for so long. But Merida is very easy uh, to a place, very easy place to be in a large part due to the community that's here. Well, that's cool. Well, and where are you moving? You said you're moving to a Puerto Vallarta. Puerto Vallarta, the west coast of Mexico. It's actually the gay capital of Mexico. Sounds fabulous. <laughs> what, what's what's drawing you there? Uh, well, it's a beach town, <clears throat> first of all. Uh, Merida gets so extremely hot in April and May, so I'm relocating. I've got a little apartment one block from the water. Uh, and the, not only is it the gay part of Mexico, uh, Zona Romantica, where I'll be living, is uh, the gay neighborhood of the <laughs> gayest part of town. So it's something completely different. I went to Puerto Varda in October for like a seven or 10 day vacation. And at first I kind of thought it was a, it was a lot all at once. And then by the end of the vacation, I was like, I can see myself living here. So when I got, you know, really kind of restless in Merida and ready to go for a lot of different reasons, uh, Puerto Varda was the first place, you know, it's a, it's a, 
change of climate. It's a change of scenery. And uh, not that, you know, Medida is not gay friendly or something, but it's going to be very different than Medida. Medida is, you know, pretty conservative place. Um, I, I love Medida. It's not overly conservative to the point where you feel um, oppressive or anything like that. But uh, I think it's going to be a very different mindset in Puerto Vallarta. It's very extremely super liberal. People consider it like the San Francisco of Mexico. That sounds amazing. And I'm very I, excited. Yeah, it, it just sounds incredible. And I like how you're going to the gay capital and you're staying in the, in the gayest neighborhood. I mean, it sounds fabulous. It really does. Well, what's really funny, and I'm, I've come back to eat these words apparently, like my first day <laughs> or two in Puerto Vallarta, I said um, one thing that I find – I made a post on my personal Facebook and I said um, one very interesting thing about Puerto Vallarta is how extremely gay it is. And I said – and one interesting reason why I will never live in Puerto Vallarta is how extremely gay it is. <laughs> and, and then less than a year later, I'm currently packing to move there. <laughs> oh, you, you made it happen. Yeah, well, I manifested it. Well, well, most importantly, though, how is the food in Puerto Vallarta? <laughs> you know, it's Mexico. So all over Mexico, the food is really amazing. Um, Yucatan, where I've been living, is this is Mayan, and they have Yucatecan food, and it's a bit different from... Mexican food, uh, it's very interesting in the United States. I think oftentimes what we think of as Mexican food is really more like Tex-Mex. Yeah. And the, the food beef, here, burritos. yeah, burritos, nachos, tacos with, you know, soft shells and things like this. And I'm not knocking on Tex-Mex. It's very good, but it's its own thing. So uh, all over Mexico, there's amazing food, but uh, Yucatecan food is actually different than Mexican food. So I think staying in Jalisco is the state that I'm moving to where Puerto Vallarta is located. Um, it'll be interesting to dig into what, you know, their, their food is like in Jalisco, how it differs. Cause it's like, it, it really differs from state to state here in Mexico. There's unique cultural, like food identity from state to state. Interesting. Okay. That's kind of a cool thing. And, and, and I'll be on the water. So I anticipate it's going to be a ton of seafood, which of I'm seafood. excited about. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And we're, uh, you know, I, I've never experienced that where there's a big difference in the type of food that's being served uh, where I live because you know, I've always lived here in the States. And aside from I live on Lake Michigan now. And so there's there's a lot more, you know, there's a lot more fish um, if, if you if you want to call it seafood here. But but never, never anything, uh, never anything like that. And, you know, I'm I'm excited for you that you get to go somewhere where this queer culture is so strong and that's something that I've also never gotten to, never been able to experience. You know, I live in, in Holland, Michigan, and we are one of the, probably one of the most conservative uh, towns in Michigan. And, you know, there are a fair amount of young people here. And I have a ton of online friends that are, that are, that are queer or gay. And, and it's, it's great, but I've never lived in a place where, I just feel like everyone is, is truly welcome. And I think that that would be just an incredible experience. Yeah, it's going to be, you know, I'm from Oklahoma City, which, you know, Oklahoma being quite conservative itself. Oklahoma City, um, less conservative than the rest of the state overall. I feel like it's the smaller towns that make us lean towards extremely conservative. I did not have like a very difficult time in Oklahoma City as a gay person. I know some of my friends that were bullied, and I, you know, certainly experienced a small amount of it myself. But uh, to be in Oklahoma, I've heard a lot 
worse stories than my own. Uh, but I've never lived in some somewhere either that has, like you're saying, such queer culture or something like this. So it'll be interesting to jump into it, especially I know you said you're 41. I'm 40 myself. So to jump into it at 40 years of age and see what I think of living in, in a place like that. But I'm I'm excited. It's going to be different. It's going to be new for me and um, kind of being open to all the possibilities. Oh, I love that. Well, and I, I'm I'm curious, and it, it, it may be a non-issue for you, and I and I hope it is. But because you know, I don't I don't walk around uh, outside with a with a little name tag on me that says you know, hey, I'm trans or anything like that. But you know, traveling the world as a, as a gay man, did your sexuality ever cause any problems anywhere? Did anyone ever, you know, was there anything that happened? Yeah, you know, overall, let me say, in seven years, there have been limited, probably a handful or less of incidences, and maybe only one or two that really stand out, Um, which I think in seven years, and I think I've been to like 65-ish countries or something like that, is pretty good average. So for for the most part, if anyone's thinking, you know, this is something that I would like to do, and I would like to go experience the world, um, but I'm afraid of homophobia you know, don't let that stop you. Definitely do not let that stop you. Uh, because I've overall found the world to be, how do I phrase this? Even Let's say even in the Middle East, I've spent time, time in places like Qatar, where being gay is punishable by death. The, the mentality of the people does not always line up with the laws that are on the books. Does that make sense? It does, but I, I got a little shiver when you said that, I'm I'm not going to lie. That was, that was scary. You know, the idea of you visiting someplace that, I mean, that's scary. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it, and you know, to be like an openly gay person and same thing like you, I mean, I don't run around, you know, with a high I'm gay shirt on or anything like that, but I also don't go through any big measures to hide it. Um, I remember once in Egypt, uh, a gallery owner, I was traveling around with a straight couple friend of mine and a gallery owner was just very curious about, you know, where are you from and things like this and invited us to uh, tea at his gallery, which turned into drinks and everyone, we were quite drunk by the end of it. And uh, I said something about being gay or the straight couple did or something like that. And immediately the mood shifted and the guy was saying like, maybe it's better if you guys leave and, you know, not to the point of being like, you know, get the fuck out of my house or something. But there was an immediate change in the, the temperature and he was definitely ready for us to leave his house. And, you know, so it's been things like this. I've not had any violence against me. Um, but also I've told people when I've had this conversation with them before, as a tourist or as a traveler, when you're passing through somewhere, a lot of times local people see you as a money-making opportunity. And it doesn't have to be in a negative way. Not that they're trying to exploit you, but, um, you know, tours, or they, they want to sell you a tour or something like this. I, I think it's very different to be passing through. I spend a lot of time in Eastern Europe. I usually spend about half the year in Europe uh, pre-COVID and a lot of time in Eastern Europe, which a lot of people consider to be very homophobic, places like Bulgaria, Ukraine, and my experience there does not match the experience of a local person. Okay. So for me, me passing through as an openly gay person that they know I'm there for one week or two weeks or something like that. 
probably even though they may not agree with me or my lifestyle or something like this, they don't want to be rude to guests. They don't want to do anything that's going to hurt tourism or things like this. So my experience as someone passing through a week or two at a time would not look the same as, you know, a Ukrainian person trying to be openly gay and go about living their life in Ukraine. Okay. That, that makes sense. You know, it, the idea of kind of a, a temporary tolerance, um, you know, for the, for the sake of, uh, politeness or, or keeping up appearances that, that definitely makes sense. Um, and they don't want to be seen as rude or unwelcoming or things like this. They don't want to do anything that's going to make them seem like a bad host. You know, people aren't welcome here. Okay. But they probably just, you know, the same thing like I say a lot of places in Oklahoma where I'm from, no one's going to say anything to your face, but they're probably going to go home and pray for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the going home and, and praying for you part, I, I don't mind. It's uh you know, no, I don't mind that at all. It's, 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 it's nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what the what the people want to want to uh, do some kind of violence, and thankfully that's that's not happening to you. Um, well, you know they they say that, um, and I say they say, and and pretty much what I'm referring to is the uh, other foodie that I know, which is Charles Boyle from the uh, from the show Brooklyn Nine Nine, um, who is a a foodie on the show, and I remember in one episode that it's always stuck with me, and he said that. Uh, Food should tell a story, and many people's favorite food kind of tells a story about when they were there or what they were experience, experiencing. Do you do you have anything like that, you know, a, a dish that was kind of a really special experience? Yeah, I I really do. Um, I wrote an entire blog post about it at one point, I think. Um, I was in Pisa, and I found this amazing – I'm obsessed with charcuterie. Like charcuterie and wine is one of my favorite things in life. And I found this really great small place and they were doing these beautiful charcuterie boards and they only had like two or three tables inside the restaurant. He said, you know, we don't have any tables for you, but we're, there's a park right outside. And he said, I can bring it to you outside and you can sit by the fountain and would you like some wine? And so he brought me out this like beautiful charcuterie board and like a half bottle of wine. And I remember I was just sitting outside in Italy, and it's this beautiful day, and the weather was incredible, having this incredible meal and drinking local wine. And I just kind of had one of those like full circle moments. I'm like, how, how did you get here? You know, where you are poor white trash from Oklahoma. You know, I was raised in a trailer park. And so it's just one of these moments where I was like, you know, how, how what steps, you know, did you take, or was it sheer dumb luck, or a bit of skill or ability, or you know, how did we end up here at this place in Pisa, Italy, sitting outside, you know, sun on our faces, enjoying this incredible meal and amazing wine? Well, it sounds it sounds awesome. And I love charcuterie boards, although I am in Holland, Michigan. So I've ne I, I probably have never experienced a real one. You know, all, everything I've tried is like uh, meats from the uh, the grocery store that are chopped up and put on a charcuterie board. Uh, but they're pretty damn good. Those are really good. And if you want to make, you know, a charcuterie board, I love super local products. So if you want to make like a Holland, Michigan charcuterie board, just look for any butcher or cheesemaker around there doing kind of like artisanal cheeses or, you know, doing their own meats and dried cured meats and things like this, like make a super local Holland, Michigan one. Oh, I like that idea. And that'll be, that'll be a good project for me. And, and, you know, I, I, I thrive on projects because I have, uh, 
I have such bad anxiety that having a project to, to focus my uh, my mental energy, if you will, on um, actually helps me stay sane and stay focused. And, you know, you were talking about being so hyper-focused on the idea of doing this traveling. And I was thinking to myself while you said that, that that kind of hyper-focus is not unusual to me. Like, you know, we, we just bought an embroidery machine because I'm I'm starting my own a little line of, of uh, clothing and cute little stuff, but I hyper-focused on that and researching all the details, reading all the blogs, figuring everything out, and it's all for a, a silly little machine that, that sits on a, on a table in my house that I use. You know, I would love to be able to train that ability to focus on something like, you know, achieving a travel goal or, you know, I'd like to visit New Zealand. Um, that That's on my probably number one on my bucket list for life as I'd love to visit New Zealand someday. And when you were talking about being in Pisa, Italy, and saying you had this full circle moment where you're wondering, how did I get here? How did all of this happen? All these amazing things. I wonder, do you, are there any tips or tricks or hints that you could give people that want to go from this stage of I'm sitting at home looking at New Zealand on my computer to how do I actually make that make that big jump, that big commitment to actually go chase that dream? Book the flight. <laughs> I love it. Book book the flight and then once you've laid that money on the table, you're put into a position where you have to figure <laughs> all of the other details out. And if you're if you're scared, uh, you know, kind of lean into and I when I started to leave Oklahoma, my mom, I'm very close to my mother. My mother is actually retired here in Medellin, Mexico now after I've been based here. Um, my mom said the great, the best thing about home is you can always come back. You know, home is always going to be waiting for you there. So just kind of taking that first step. And for me, it was booking the flight to Thailand. And then it's like, oh, shit, okay. Uh, I got a flight. Now, now I need to figure out uh, I've got a hotel. I need a hotel next. I got to have somewhere to sleep. Um, you know, and then how am I going to get from the airport to the hotel? We need to figure that out. I've got five, six, seven days in the city. What, what is there to do there? You know, what, what kind of food should I be trying there? So I don't book the flight and then you're going to, you're going to be put into a position where if you book that flight to New Zealand, you're going to have to sort everything else out, you know? <laughs> I, well, that's both terrifying and, and wonderful. And I have to make sure that my wife never, ever, ever hears this episode because <laughs> if she hears it, she'd be like, I'm booking that damn flight and it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, and I will say I've never, New Zealand was never on my radar and a friend of mine during quarantine, he managed to get into New Zealand. He's a, um, on a, like a work visa to go work at a vineyard and his stories from you know, it's right when New Zealand was shutting down. They were they did some of the most aggressive shutdowns, and they've had some of the best results with it. And he managed to slide in right when that happened. And the vineyard said, "Okay, like you know, you, we'll honor your visa agreement, but you have to quarantine for two weeks until we can do anything with you." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, that's fine." He was quarantined at a vineyard in New Zealand, and they would just drop off food and like a case of wine for him. And just the insane views, he would be doing dishes and just raise his phone up for his Instagram stories and show you what was out his, and it's like mountains and streams and rivers. And he was doing these sunrise and sunset hikes because he had nothing to do during two weeks of quarantine. And it skyrocketed New Zealand to the top of my list. Yeah, he's he's living the dream right there. That is 
That is exactly. I mean, apart from the being quarantined, I mean, having food delivered in cases of wine, that sounds amazing. <laughs> well, and uh, for just for two weeks. And after that, you know, he was his quarantine was over. And now he's in one of the countries where life has gone almost. I think it's I think the only thing he said is they have to wear masks on flights. Okay. And that's the only remaining covid constriction restriction in all of New Zealand. Well, they they did it right. I mean, they locked down so hard, so fast, and they got cleared first. I mean, they they really nailed it. They had their stuff together. And in the whole country, from from what I've seen, looking at travel blogs, just you know, my my wife and I are both photographers, and it's like a photographer's dream, you know. And we love hiking. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you, I couldn't ask for. A better place, and and I I love some of the places we visited here in, in America. I love being out west, out in the desert with the uh, with the rock mountains. Those are, those are some of my favorite. But boy, to be able to experience the the jungles out there would just be would just knock my socks off. It looks gorgeous. It really does, and I'm sure there's great food too. You know, that's one of the few countries I don't know anything about their food. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I've never dove into New Zealand's food. I what do I imagine? What, for some reason, I'm thinking a lot of lamb. I think New Zealand rack of lamb is quite famous. Okay, all right. And I, I yeah. don't know that I've ever had a really good rack of lamb before. Oh, uh, you've got to find like an herb crusted rack of lamb. Those are the best. Ooh. Well, I'll tell you what. Right now, I'm I'm staring at your avatar here on on Skype, and it's just this really happy picture of you in a t-shirt and a big old smile and you're holding this ginormous bowl full of it look it's some kind of green some kind of salad it looks like in there and no you, it's aguatile i know what photo it is oh, <laughs> what is aguatile because it, it's making me hungry aguatile is pretty similar to ceviche oh okay yeah yeah so it's similar to ceviche except that the water the the i mean aguatile literally translates to like chili water so it's spicier and oftentimes has cucumbers in it where ceviche doesn't have cucumbers but i think the one that i'm holding up is like a shrimp ceviche it's in a dish called a mocajete which looks like a large um salsa like mortar dish. and pestle type yeah the salsa I guess would that be the mortar or pestle? I should know this. I, I've I never known cooking. that. <laughs> uh, yeah, which the mortar and pestle? Which one is the large base piece, and which one is the piece that he goes in the middle to grind it? I, I do well, too much cooking to I, not know that. I always think of the pestle as the the piece that you use to smash stuff because pestle starts with a P, like penis, and it kind of looks like a penis when you hold it up. Maybe that's not the right way to look at this whole thing. <laughs> okay. We'll have to research it and see if the logic tracks. It's, I, it's, it's bad that I know what it is in Spanish, which is mocajete, and I don't know in English what it is. <laughs> well, that's that's okay because I, I know a fair amount of English, but I, I know almost no Spanish, so you're already doing much better than I am. My Spanish for... Well, I was going to say to have lived in Mexico as long as I have, my Spanish is bad. But it gets even worse than that. I'm half Mexican, and I'm in Mexico on a Mexican passport, and my Spanish is still terrible. Oh, Nathan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so bad. Oh, I, I don't think I could bail you out of that one. <laughs> yeah. I, I told my friends like, I had a year of uh, Spanish at university. I did a 100-hour intensive one-on-one -on -one course in Nicaragua, just me and a, a Spanish professor, and then having been based in Mexico now for four years and being half Mexican, holding a Mexican passport. And my, you know, it's functional, but I definitely sound, I always tell people I sound like a Mexican toddler. 
<laughs> oh man. Well, and and that that might be kind of amusing for those around you, though. That that speak Spanish very well. Well, it's really funny. My friends say your Spanish is so bad, except your restaurant Spanish is flawless. Like. Yeah. <laughs> My, I can get you all the food and drinks you want at a restaurant. I know all those words. <laughs> well, if you can get the restaurant, if you can get to uh, El Bano, then yeah, I, I yeah, feel yeah. like you're okay. <laughs> I've got that one. <laughs> well, so tell us a little bit. Uh, tell us about your, your blog and where we can find your adventures and stuff. I started my blog about two years into my trip, and it's just really a resource to help uh, travelers find what to eat and where to eat it in destinations that I visited. So the best local dishes, my favorite local dishes that I try everywhere I go, and then um, restaurants where you can find the best meals in town. And not necessarily just only the local or regional food. You know, usually my guides of where to eat uh, cover everything from, like I said, taco stands to Michelin star experiences. Uh, the website is Foodie Flashpacker. You can find me at foodieflashpacker.com and also foodie flashpacker on all social media handles awesome wonderful well thank you so much for coming on the show it's really been great talking to you no thank you so much for having me i appreciate it it's been great chatting yeah it, it really has and now i'm extremely hungry and i think that all i have is uh cold pizza in the refrigerator so i'm gonna go go up and pretend that cold pizza is something from a michelin motel or a restaurant well, if you put together this Holland, Michigan charcuterie board, I hope to see a photo. Well, I'll, I'll send you a photo then. It's, it's going to be good. I promise you that. So, Well, Our, perfect. Thank you again. <laughs> you're very welcome. Rebecca Jonesy, sponsor of the show. Thank you so much again for keeping the show going. Rebecca is a fiction author. She writes fantasy, adventure, erotica, just a, a really phenomenal talent. Her uh, link will be in the episode description as well as a link to Nathan's website. That way you can check out all of his wonderful food and get your mouth watering there. Um, and to everyone out there, it's really been a pleasure uh, talking to you. And until next week, stay safe and stay strong.